Hello and welcome, fight fans, to episode number 192A of the Neutral Corner Boxing Podcast. I am your host, Michael Montero, for Boxing Monthly Magazine and BoxingMonthly.com. This is the preview show. We're going to preview what's coming up this weekend. It got a huge, huge fight that's kind of flying under the radar. And we got a lot of news to cover, including some very, very sad news. So before I get into that, guys, uh, I want to remind you, Please, if you can contribute anyway to MOB, we have a Patreon page. It's patreon.com slash Montero Unboxing. You can contribute right here on the live YouTube video with super chat pledges. T-shirts. Get your T-shirts, by the way. Uh, actually, right now, guys, uh, they're on back order. I've completely sold out of medium, large, extra large, double X large, and triple X large T-shirts. All I have left is one small You guys are freaking awesome. People from around the world have bought MLB t-shirts just repping the brand. And it it helps me get my name out there. And you guys know I'm an independent operator. I work with several different publications, including Boxing Monthly Magazine. But I remain an independent operator. And to help get my name out there, that's the biggest thing about those tees. And you guys have bought them all. (laughs) That's freaking awesome. I have one small left. That's it. You guys are amazing. But the best thing you could do to help me out is just share this video, share this podcast if you're listening to the audio version, whether it's iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, whatever it is. And also, uh, forgive my voice if I'm a little stuffy. I don't know if it's the allergies or all the travel. You guys know I was in Los Angeles, then Chicago. So maybe that's taking a toll on me. Maybe it's the weather change here. It was in the 40s this morning here in Atlanta. So uh, maybe that's doing it, but I'm a little stuffy and everything. Forgive me if my voice is a little stuffy. Uh, it's just going to be that way. Hopefully, we'll be back to normal next month for uh, Monday's show. Anyway, let's go ahead and get into this news, guys. Um, so look, I don't know how else to jump into this. It's just it's devastating news. But Patrick Day, who I talked about Monday, uh, he, he passed away yesterday. So um, 27 years old. 27 years old. And I talked about Monday how, you know, look, I've been around fighters that have been severely injured. You know, Daniel Franco comes to mind. I knew him pretty well before he went through everything. And he's still going through things. And Rock Nation's really let him down. That should be a huge story, by the way, and it's not. Um, But this is the first time in my boxing career, boxing media career, that I have seen a fighter get injured, like the way Day was injured, and see him get carried out of the ring on a stretcher. And just days later, a few days later, he dies. It was literally a week ago today in Chicago at the Marriott downtown in Chicago where we're having the press conference for the Usyk Witherspoon card where I first met, first saw Patrick Day. I never met him before. I never covered one of his fights, but both Tiffany and I were really impressed by him, the way he presented himself at the press conference. Uh, I talked about this a lot Monday. I won't go into too much detail today, but it was a very mundane, typical press conference, you know, whatever. And then he gets up on stage and everything brightens up. Just a super positive energy and aura about this kid. Great smile. Um, well-spoken, but there's a lot of fighters who are well-spoken. It was just more than that. And me and Tiffany both looked at each other and both basically said, this kid has a future after boxing. Whether he goes into investment banking or he wants to do commentary or he wants to be an actor or something, this kid has something. There's something there. We both said that to each other. And literally 48 hours later, you know, two days later, uh, he was being carried out of the ring on a stretcher right by us. And a few days after that, he dies at 27 years old. So it's a tragic thing. And this wasn't a case where, you know, I felt it was a one-sided fight against Conwell. And maybe you can make an argument it could have been stopped, but then you go back and and watch it. And it wasn't that one-sided, where I think it was egregious that the fight continued. Um, Boxing is just a rough sport. It is, in my opinion... And I base this upon things like this situation and many others. I feel boxing is the cruelest of all sports. 
I tweet stuff like that, and then MMA guys jump on me, and and other other people in other sports jump on me. Well, what about this sport? It's dangerous too. Yeah, I get it. There are a lot of dangerous sports. American football is dangerous. But tell me, how many athletes die as a direct result of the injuries they suffer in their sport days after an event? It just doesn't happen in other sports. It's never happened in MMA, to my knowledge. It's never happened in the NFL, to my knowledge. It doesn't happen anywhere else. It happens in boxing because you're taking direct hits to the head by guys who are experts at punches or strikes, whatever you want to call it. And also boxers are experts at taking punches and absorbing that punishment. And sometimes that can work to your disadvantage. So uh, look, I don't know what the answers are to this stuff. We had Maxim Dadashev this year, now Patrick Day. Um, People have asked me, several of you guys have asked me, is this something that's happening more you know, in boxing now, I don't think it's happening more. I think that there's just more events being streamed, being televised. So now it's just more, there's just more awareness, okay? This was an undercard fight. Conwell Day was an undercard fight buried way on the undercard. I think it was the opener to the DAZN broadcast, right? This is like five fights down for the main event. 10 years ago, 20 years ago, that wasn't being aired anywhere. That wasn't being broadcast anywhere. But now with these apps, you know, DAZN, ESPN Plus, and then over in the UK, there are apps that have been streaming for years. These fights are being aired. They're being streamed. They're being seen by people. And there's footage of it that's out there. So I think there's just more awareness. But these things have been happening for well over a century now. I, I can't even, like, I've seen some websites, like some wiki pages that, total all the boxers who have died and everything like that but even those are inaccurate because they don't include all the fighters that have dealt with parkinson's and all the fighters that you've never heard of that don't have a big name that have died guys it's obviously in the thousands i I don't think that's hyperbole i think there are thousands of fighters around the world that have died as a direct result of the punishment they took in the ring whether it was directly after a fight, like in this case or earlier this year with Dadashev, or maybe it was a year later, maybe it was 10 years later. It's hard to calculate this stuff, but undoubtedly, it's in the thousands. This is an extremely dangerous sport. And Patrick Day was 27 years old. He was in the prime of his life. He wasn't some guy who was in his 40s, you know, or something like fighting way above his natural weight class or something like that. It just happened. It was brutal and devastating. And you ask, how could this have been prevented? I don't know. I honestly don't know. I am baffled by this. It's made. It's left a stain on me. It's left a mark on me. I think because I was witness. I don't want to be. I don't want to be hyperbolic here. I don't want to say I watched Patrick Day die, but I watched him lose consciousness. And he never regained consciousness. And he died several days later. Seeing his eyes rolled in the back of his head, seeing his leg and his arm twitch right in front of me, just two days after I saw him being so bright and full of life, it's messed me up a little bit. I can't lie. It's messed me up a little bit. And I'm completely confused right now about any sort of answers to prevent this in the future. I just don't know if it's possible. That's just the nature of this sport. And that's why I'll forever protect boxers, stick up for them, and protect and stick up for this sport. Anyone who's ever done it to any degree, I don't care if you're a weekend warrior or you're a professional champion, what level you're at, if you've climbed up in those ropes and taken a blow to the head, props to you. And you're my brother or you're my sister. I don't give a shit where you come from, what your political viewpoints are, what your religion is. I don't give a damn. If you get up in the ring and you take that risk, I love you. That's it. And when I hear people say, bum, uh, tomato can, use all these damn terms, it pisses me off. You guys should think twice before you use that sort of rhetoric, okay? 
because things like this just really put all of it into perspective. So I follow that with this. Errol Spence, released from the hospital, of course you all know, it was literally, here's how eerie all this shit is and just the way this whole thing works out. It was a week ago today, I told you guys, I met Patrick Day for the first time at the press conference in Chicago. It was also a week ago today that we found out that Errol Spence was in a major car accident where he was drunk, driving drunk, blacked out, was speeding, flipped his car over, wasn't wearing a seatbelt, was ejected, could have died, right? Obviously. Comes out of it pretty much okay. Some facial lacerations, uh, knocked out his teeth, but who knows, some damage to his jaw. How that might affect him as a fighter, we don't know. He might cut easily after this. He might break his jaw in fights. He might not have the same punch resistance. We don't know how this will affect his career, but he walked away from it pretty much okay. So he posts something today. By the way, I should also mention that he was charged with a DUI by the Dallas Police Department. I talked about that last week. I think last Thursday I talked about it also this week, Monday. A few of you guys on the chat were giving me shit, saying that I was spreading rumors. Well, where are you now? Because I was telling you the truth. I was telling you what I knew before it was safe to say it because I had it from good sources. And you guys that were giving me shit conveniently disappear right now. It always works that way. You guys are freaking just spineless, those of you who do that shit. Anyway, charged with a DUI, uh, will not be charged with speeding, which I think is pretty nice by the Dallas Police Department because we have the surveillance footage to know he was speeding. But DUI is enough. That's harsh enough. So he gets out of the hospital and makes an Instagram post today that reads, and I quote, no broken bones, I'm a savage. That's all he posted on his Instagram post. So here's my takeaway from that. And again, I'm trying to be understanding, trying to be sensitive, but this is literally a day after, not even a full 24 hours after, Patrick Day died. You were drunk driving, flipped your car five times, were not wearing a seatbelt, the epitome of irresponsibility somehow by some miracle walk away the same during the same week one of your boxing brothers dies from injuries suffered in the ring and this is your first public post after leaving the hospital i got to say i'm a fan of Errol spence i traveled hundreds of miles to cover his fight in dallas against Mikey Garcia traveled thousands of miles to cover his fight against Sean Porter in Los Angeles. Those of you know this. Those of you who subscribe to Boxing Monthly Magazine saw my article about Errol Spence introducing him to the British fans a couple years ago. It was titled The Truth About Errol. Uh, You guys know I'm a fan of him. But this was kind of a shitty look. Not the best look. And I talked about it in previous episodes. I don't know if it was Monday or last Thursday. He had a real opportunity to say, look, I made a mistake. I screwed up. You shouldn't drink and drive. You should put on your fucking seatbelt. Simple things. Two plus two equals four. Okay, this isn't rocket science. Just simple stuff. He had a real opportunity to do that. And he posts, no broken bones, I'm a savage. Kind of insensitive and just a bad look in my opinion. But that's just my opinion. And again, I like Errol. I just think that that was kind of a delusional, idiotic thing to do coming off of that. I mean, talk about winning the lottery. The kid won the lottery by surviving that crash. And one of your brothers died in the ring. That's something you do for a living. And your first post is, no broken bones, I'm a savage. I'm going to leave it at that, guys, and just uh, leave it up to you to, uh, I don't know. Those are my thoughts on it. Curious what you guys got to say. Okay. Let's get into the fight preview. So this week, the big fight is on Friday night. Friday, October 18th. There's a Telemundo card on the schedule from Niagara Falls, New York. But the big card is at the Leocorus Center in Philadelphia on ESPN. This is from Top Rank. And you guys, I find this interesting. And I tweeted about this. 
There's been zero mention of lineal with this fight between Oleksandr Vozdik and Artur Beterbiev. Zero mention of lineal. Technically speaking, Oleksandr Vozdik won the lineal championship when he beat Adonis Stevenson. I think it was what, last? Was it last December? Beat Adonis Stevenson. Now look, I should add that us at Ring Magazine on the Ring Ratings Committee, we stripped Adonis Stevenson a while ago for basically this similar reasons to why we stripped Tyson Fury because of inactivity and, and, and such poor quality of opposition. We stripped Adonis Stevenson a while ago, so we didn't recognize Adonis Stevenson as the lineal champ. But if you're going to go by the same rhetoric ESPN uses to promote Tyson Fury, the man who beat the man... Technically speaking, that is Oleksandr Vozdik when he beat Adonis Stevenson who beat Chad Dawson back in the day. I want to say that was like 2012. Correct me if I'm wrong. But I think he beat Chad Dawson in 2012 and won Fighter of the Year honors. And it was like a knockout of the year contender, right? And just did nothing since. And then Vozdik beats him. So technically speaking, Oleksandr Vozdik is the man who beat the man. Now, I bring this up just to expose the hypocrisy from ESPN. And by the, I tweeted this and Dan Raphael had to respond because one of you guys copied him. So he had to get his two cents in. And then I blasted Dan back and he didn't respond because I schooled him. Dan is all in on the, the, the lineal nonsense. Basically, Dan said, well, they're not using the lineal thing here because both of these guys have actual titles. In fact, it's the WBC and IBF titles that are being unified here but my whole thing is okay dan i got you but going back to the broadcast joe tessator when it was tyson fury Aldo valin he talked about the lineal championship eight thousand times during that broadcast right i guarantee you guys guarantee you he will not talk wbc and ibf half as much as he talked lineal with tyson fury He's not going to say, oh, the WBC champ. Oh, the IBF champ. He might mention it once or twice. But he's not going to push it 5,000 times down your throat. Also, Joe Tessitore, Bradley, all of them, all of them, talked about the real championship of Tyson Fury, the lineal championship, right? This beats any of the alphabet boys. This is the real championship, the man who beat the man. If that's the case then screw the WBC and IBF here for Vojtek Baturbiev. Why not just say the lineal championship, the man who beat the man? Oh yeah, also there's a couple alphabet titles too. But this is the man who beat the man, just like Tyson Fury. This is the light heavyweight version of Tyson Fury, the second coming of Jesus Christ, Allah and Buddha all together at the same time. They're not doing that. And that's why I have to bring it up. Because it's an agenda. It's not that I'm against ESPN or against Joe Tessitore. I like Joe Tessitore. It's not that I'm against top rank. But look, I'm critical at times, often, a lot of times, of PBC. I'm critical of Golden Boy. I have to be fair and balanced across the board. And when I see hypocrisy with ESPN and top rank, and they're basically co-promoters in this situation... I got to talk about it. I got to bring it up. This is bullshit. So my whole thing with Tyson Fury, shut up about the lineal stuff and just talk about him being one of the top heavyweights. That's all you need to do. The lineal stuff is unnecessary. By the way, I'm not going to name names, but somebody who worked very closely with Vladimir Klitschko saw my tweet about Beterbiev Vojtek, reached out to me today and said, you know what? Vladimir Klitschko fought on ESPN multiple times. About five years they worked together. Not once did they mention Vladimir Klitschko as the lineal champion. He was the lineal champion from, I believe, 2009 to 2015. And not once did ESPN market him as the lineal champion. There you go, guys. The very man that they're promoting Tyson Fury off of, because he's the man who beat the man, they never referred to Vladimir Klitschko as the lineal once. So that tells you all you need to know. Look, I'm not annoyed by ESPN or any of these guys. 
the promoters, they're going to do what they do. The networks are going to do what they do. But it's my job to expose this shit and tell you guys the truth. That's why I need your help. <laughs> That's why I need you to promote this show. Because every time I do that, I burn a bridge and make an enemy at one of these networks. And I know some of the folks at Top Rank and ESPN are not too happy with me when it comes to this Tyson Fury situation. Super chat pledge from 91 Reasons You Lose. Thank you very, very much, my man. I appreciate it. That's exactly the kind of support I'm talking about because somebody at ESPN, if they don't watch this show, somebody will forward this clip to them and they'll be like, oh, that guy, goddamn him. We need to shut him up. It happens, okay? I know it happens because I am told things off the record. I know this shit happens. Anyway, 91 Reasons You Lose. Thank you very much for the super chat. He says, couldn't agree with you more. Well, your take on Spence, Mike. I missed your review of the Anthony Sims fight. What did you think of him? Uh, Look, Anthony Sims looks pretty good. There are some things. Anthony Sims was fighting an opponent that was tough, rugged, uh, hung in there with him, gave him some rounds, and he had to make some adjustments. And I saw some good stuff there. I'm not ready to buy all in like if he was a stock i'm not gonna dump everything and buy anthony sims stock but i'm keeping an eye on that stock i'm monitoring it. i'm watching it if i see a couple more things move boom i'm gonna pull the trigger and buy that stock one thing about anthony sims and i can't go into detail on this okay i saw some things friday night at the fight hotel that concerned me with anthony sims That's all I'm going to say because it would be unethical of me to go into detail on the record. But I saw some things at the Fight Hotel Friday night that concerned me. That would make me cautious buying into that stock. I'm just going to leave that there. Okay, let's get back to this fight review, guys. So, Alexander Wojcik is 17-0 and Artur Baturbiev is 14-0. Wojcik is 6'2". And so he's a taller guy because Baturbiev is five foot eleven. Uh, Baturbiev is kind of thicker, stockier, uh, more muscular, right? A little more power build to him. And Vojtek, I think, is a little more lean and built for speed. Seventy-five inch reach for the Ukrainian. Seventy-three inch reach for the Russian. Ukrainian versus Russian. Trust me, guys. There's a political thing there with those two countries. Uh, there's going to be some interesting moments in the crowd if you're there in Philly attending this fight. Both of these guys are in their 30s. Vojtek, two years younger, 32. The second defense of his WBC title that he won off of Stevenson and his lineal title, mind you. But Terbiev is 34, and this is the third defense of his IBF title. So here's what's interesting about these two when you really look at them. But Terbiev had the better amateur career, I think by far. I think he was a two-time Olympian. Yeah, two-time Olympian. He lost to Oleksandr Usyk a couple times in the amateurs, but he beat Vojtek. They fought once in the amateurs. He beat Vojtek. He beat Sergei Kovalev, Junior Dortikos, Michael Hunter, and several other good fighters who have turned out to be really good pros. So good pro style, good style that, you know, success in the amateurs that translated well into the pro style for Baturbiev. However, Vojtek actually meddled in the Olympics. It could be argued he didn't have the same level of opposition Baturbiev did. He also fought in the World Series of Boxing for two seasons. That's something that Baturbiev didn't do. And I think as a pro, Vojtek has fought the better opposition. He's certainly been more active in recent years because remember, Baturbiev was with Yvonne Michel up in Canada and had a falling out and there was a contract dispute and all this. So he was inactive for a while, right? Now he's with Top Rank. And I love what Top Rank's doing. Guys, again, Top Rank unifying the lightweight division with Vasily Lomachenko. He's going to fight the winner of the uh, Come and Lopez fight. That's going to completely consolidate 135. They consolidated 140 with Terrence Crawford. He moved up. That division blew up. What did they do this year? They helped unify titles when Maurice Hooker fought Jose Carlos Ramirez. Now they're unifying titles at light heavyweight. So possibly the winner of this fight would fight Sergey Kovalev next, depending on you know, if Kovalev beats 
Canelo Alvarez. That remains to be seen. But you got to give top rank credit here. Now, I just bashed him with this lineal shit with Tyson Fury because I think they're being idiots with that. But with this situation, they deserve tremendous credit. This is a fantastic fight. And I think it's falling under the radar because it's two guys who are not American. Um, Vojtek does speak English. And he actually speaks very good English. But these are quote-unquote foreign guys. Also, uh, we just had Spence Porter. We just had Golovkin Derevyanchenko. We just had Oleksandr Usyk making his heavyweight debut. We've got Canelo Kovalev coming up soon. So all these fights, all these big fights going on, this one's kind of sliding under the radar. But on paper, guys... This is an amazing matchup. This is truly a 50-50 fight. I say all that. And I, I got to say, man, just based on activity, based on styles, I like Vajdik to win a decision here. I think he's, it wouldn't surprise me if both fighters get dropped. Really wouldn't surprise me, especially early on. Wouldn't surprise me if Vajdik is down early and Baturbiev is down late. But I like his length. I like his boxing ability. I like what he's doing with Teddy Atlas. I think that Baturbiev is very heavy-handed. And he comes in there and beats you down. He wears you down. But I think Vajdik, he's got a a dimension to him that a lot of people just don't seem to see in him. Um, It comes out when he fights tough opposition. He has shown us something in certain fights when he really had to bite down. And he's a tall guy. Uh, Romanian Mike says, and he's six feet. Yes, he is the taller, longer guy. Also, if you guys look, a lot of times, not all the time, but a lot of times, as professionals, fighters tend to get revenge for losses in the amateurs. I don't know why it works out that way. It doesn't always work out that way. But almost always, (laughs) seriously, a guy who lost, fighter X who lost to fighter Y in the amateurs, Fighter X beats Fighter Y in the pros. There's a revenge factor there. There's an edge. So if Vajdik can get out of the first few rounds and get in a rhythm, I like him to win this fight by decision. That's what I see happening. I think this is going to be a fantastic fight. I do think it'll start slower than people anticipate. I think it'll start technical, but it will heat up in the middle rounds and down the stretch. It's just going to be a fantastic fight. Also on this card, Luis Colazzo fighting... uh, Kudratio Abdukakarov. That should be an interesting fight. You got to favor Abdukakarov. His trajectory is going up. Colazzo is going down. But it's perfect matchmaking at this time in, in their careers. Top rank knows what they're doing with this stuff. Also, several local prospects on the undercard, including Philadelphia heavyweight Sonny Conto, who's 23 years old, 4-0 and so far as a fighter, as a pro. Also, Saturday, October 19th, there is a Golden Boy Promotions card in association with Miguel Cotto Promotions from Chihuahua, Mexico on Facebook. Watch Luis Alberto Hernandez Ramos. Say that name three times fast. Luis Alberto Hernandez Ramos. 19-0, 14 knockouts going up. Or also, uh, Oscar Duarte, 135-pound uh, prospect. And former champ Francisco Vargas are on this card. So make sure you check that out. A UFC Fight Pass card from Peterborough, Ontario, featuring several prospects from Canada. So all my Canadian homies who watch the show, you got some action coming up on UFC Fight Pass this Saturday. And a matchroom card from Newcastle, England on DAZN, and of course Sky over there in the UK. Kind of a battle of domestic matchups, kind of the UK version of these Golden Boy promotion shows in Southern California, in Mexico. Kind of, you know, on the same level of what is what you're going to see with the Golden Boy Kodo Promotions card. Luis Ritzin fighting Robbie Davies, 12 rounds for the W. It's the WBA Junior Welterweight Eliminator. And uh, let's see. Okay. I got to beat up on the WBA for a second. You know, pretty much a weekly occurrence on this show. So this is a 140-pound eliminator between Luis Ritzin and Robbie Davies. Meanwhile, the 140-pound super champion is Regis Progre. He's about to fight Josh Taylor. Right, that's the real champion, and then the regular champion is Mario Barrios, who got a gift in his last fight against Akbadov. They're going to fight a rematch, if unless Barrios dumps the title. But that rematch has been mandated by the WBA for the regular title, and then they have an interim champion, Alberto Puello. 
So you already have three champions. You've mandated a rematch for one of them. Another one of them is about to unify in the best fight that could be made at 140 pounds right now. And yet you're having a fight for a WBA junior welterweight eliminator. <laughs> the WBA is stir-fried shit. Seriously. They are just awful. Absolutely awful. And what I find so hilarious is there are fans out there who buy into this shit and get into debates about, well, this guy's the regular champion and he's the super champion, so you know he should really be recognized. Shut up! The WBA sucks. That we should agree upon. Also on this card, Ted Cheeseman, the big cheese, going up against Scott Fitzgerald, 12 rounds for Cheeseman's British Junior Middleweight title. All right, guys, that is the fight preview. Let's get into some Q&A. Romania Mike says, smash the like button. I love it. I love it. Yeah, man, we could use some more likes, guys. Go ahead and smash the damn like button. Oh, Tiffany's on the show. She says, my lovely fiance, Tiffany Lamb, says, we should make an MOB champion. I concur. You know what? We're going to name the the winner of Baturbia Vajdik the MOB champion. Forget about the lineal crap. Forget about all these other alphabet soup boys. MOB champion will be decided this Friday night in Philadelphia between Vojdik and Baturbiev. Guys, Tiffany is actually in Los Angeles. After we went to LA for two weeks, we went to North Carolina for my sister's wedding. We went to Chicago for a week. Back here in Atlanta, Tiffany's here for 48 hours, has to go back to LA for another assignment. So I'm actually holding down the house here by myself. I promise, baby, I'm not trashing the place. And she's in L.A. working, and she's on the show. That's freaking awesome. John Uden says, Mike, can you speak on the purpose of headgear for those who believe it can prevent tragedies? Okay, John. Um, so I think I know where you're going with this. Um, headgear. A lot of people say, oh, bigger gloves, headgear. That will help prevent these injuries and, and these tragedies like Patrick Day, Maxim Dadashev, and countless others. Actually, the data suggests otherwise. Guys, think of it this way. Again, boxers know how to punch, but boxers also know how to take a punch. It's what you're trained to do. So if you have headgear on, number one, there's a bigger target for your opponent to hit. If your opponent has bigger gloves and you have bigger gloves, you have a bigger target to hit with. So you're going to land more shots. Also, because of the headgear and the bigger gloves, you're going to absorb more shots. So over rounds and rounds, you're talking hundreds, thousands of rounds if you're a pro fighter. But if you're an amateur fighter, whatever, hundreds of rounds, even a weekend warrior. More headgear, bigger gloves. Studies have shown it causes more concussions. It's actually better to get knocked out in the first round clean. To Like Dominic Brazil against Deontay Wilder. There's a perfect example. Earlier this year, it's much better to suffer that sort of knockout than to get a beating over 10 or 12 rounds and get dropped multiple times. That is much more detrimental to your health. And multiple studies have shown this. So headgear is actually worse for concussions. It's actually better to not wear headgear. Seriously. I saw one you guys, I think it was Saloon Mooney who said headgear equals fewer cuts. Yes. Headgear is better for uh, not suffering cuts. And that's the best reason why you should use headgear if you're training for a pro fight is to not get cut. But it's actually worse over the long term for concussions and brain damage. That has been shown in multiple studies. I think it was the Army or the Navy did a study recently that made the rounds in the mainstream sports media that talked about that because uh, their guys obviously box and do other combat sports, a lot of them. And um, the headgear was causing issues, more concussions. So more headgear, bigger gloves, all it's not going to solve the problem. It really, really won't. Sailor Mooney asks, who wins, Brazil, Martin? <laughs> Whoa. I got to go Dominic Brazil on that one. I think Brazil wins that one pretty handedly. Gail Falkenthal's on. She says, here's a headgear example. NFL players have had more head injuries than rugby players by far. Gail, slow clap. Slow clap, Gail. Because you just explained what took me five minutes of rambling 
in one sentence way better than I ever could. There's a prime example. Headgear, again, guys, think about this. Would you rather take one huge shot or a thousand thudding small shots? What do you think does more damage over the long term? It's like this. When you chip away at a wall, at a brick wall with a hammer, boom, 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 and you keep knocking it, keep knocking it, keep knocking it, eventually that shit cracks and it crumbles and it comes caving down. Same example. Timmy Turner, a thousand small shots. Yup. Yup, yup, yup. Romanian Mike says, headgear can also minimize your vision. Absolutely. I hate sparring with headgear. I prefer sparring with no headgear. I've been in a couple gyms that actually let me do it. But a couple gym, the gym that I trained at here, uh, coach would not let me. He said, you put on the damn headgear. He let me train without a cup because I hate wearing the cup <laughs> until I get hit low. But uh, he demanded I wear headgear. And I refused to wear it. So like master's division headgear, that's for fighters over 35, which is me. I'm certified or I'm registered in the master's division. That headgear is huge. You look like the predator when you put it on. For real. You look like the freaking predator. Arnold's like, what the hell are you? You know, when you put that shit on. I I won't wear that shit. And I told him, I put on my really thin, paper thin uh, headgear. This one back here, I'll wear this red one. Because I can see out of that one pretty good. The crossbar, I ain't messing with the crossbar. None of that shit. I can't see nothing. I can't see nothing. So imagine, guys, you have this big bulky-ass headgear on. You can't see a damn thing and your head's doubled in size. You think that's good? I sure as hell don't. Jack Alter says, I had to have sparring stop today because the person's headgear strap came undone. Yeah, I man, I'm telling you, it's just, it's a pain in the ass. I was gonna, I was just gonna make a really bad joke. Uh, should I do it? Uh, should I do it? I was gonna say, it's like wearing a condom. Just a, just an, just an annoyance. <laughs> Gail says, what would make the most difference to a fighter health and would cost nothing is controlling weight dehydration by various weight check means. Dehydration is the greatest brain health danger. Again, Gail, slow clap. So a few years ago, Tiffany and I attended a conference with the California State Athletic Commission, Andy Foster, who coincidentally is from Georgia and a former MMA fighter, moved to California, runs that commission. I think it's the best commission in all of boxing, not just America, but around the world. And they did a study of boxers and MMA fighters, and they determined that weight cut was ultimately a much bigger contributor to head injuries and just overall health issues than the actual uh, blows to the head. Now, of course, there are exceptions. But imagine, guys, you're severely dehydrated. You walk around at 170 and you cut down to 147. So you're already severely dehydrated and emaciated. And then you go in there and take a 10-round butt whooping where you're taking punches to the head. Cross that again, I will bring up the example of Deontay Wilder and Dominic Brazil, who, yes, one hitter quitter, he's down, devastating knockout, highlight reel, it's, it's all over social media. But Dominic Brazil gets up from that, and he's okay a day later. The dude who severely dehydrates himself and drops 30 pounds and goes into the ring and takes an ass whooping, that dude is changed for life. That's the difference. So again, I like the WBC's 30-day and 7-day pre-fight weigh-in rule. I like the IBF's 10-pound rehydration rule. I wish all sanctioning bodies would adopt both of those rules. I think the Association of Boxing Commissions should mandate that. And I've said that publicly a million times. Nobody else will say it. I say it all the time. Nobody listens. Azier says, Brazil never recovered mentally. Well, that's a different story, Azier. Mentally, yes, of course. But Brazil was never going to be an elite-level heavyweight. I'm just saying, health-wise, that's not going to affect his health long-term. The same way, let me think of an example, man. Um, you, okay, I talked about Mario Barrios earlier in the show. Mario Barrios cuts weight to an extreme degree to get down to his weight. 
fought Akhmadov, took a ton of punishment in that fight, got away with a gift decision. I don't know if he's going to be the same. Sergei Derevyanchenko in the fight against Gennady Golovkin, great fight. I think the performance of his career, I don't think is ever going to be the same. He took an ass whooping in that fight. Look at his face. He is not going to be the same after that fight with Golovkin. That's so much different than that one punch knockout early in a fight that Dominic Brazil suffered. So we've seen fighters get knocked out early, early in fights and come back to have great careers. Look at Vladimir Klitschko against Corey Sanders. Look at Lennox Lewis. He was stopped um, early in his career. So you can rebound from that easier than taking a prolonged ass whooping. Patrick Day, you know, who passed away this week, tragically, went uh, nine and a half, almost 10 rounds with Charles Conwell, who's very heavy-handed, dropped multiple times, uh, a lot of leather put on him. That, I think, ultimately contributed to his demise. The same thing with Maxim Dadashev, who went deep, deep, deep into a fight where he took a lot of punches from a bigger, heavier-handed guy. There's a pattern here, guys. There's a pattern here. We can go back to Dooku Kim with Ray Mancini. We can go back before that. The pattern is guys who take sustained, prolonged punishment versus the one-hitter-quitter knockout. That doesn't change dudes' lives the same way. Timmy Turner says, Dortigos took a hell of a lot of punishment in the Gassia fight. Yeah, I agree. And he's actually rebounded from that pretty well. Gotta get, Dortigos deserves a lot of credit. I think he's an underrated fighter. Jack Alter says, Brazil was much more punished in the Joshua fight. Facts. Facts. Vlad Mashev says, same with Sergei Kovalev's victim. Absolutely right, Vlad. Sergei Kovalev ended up, uh, I don't want to say killing a man. That makes it sound horrible, but... One of his opponents ended up dying. And uh, it was the same thing. It was a prolonged beating. It's the same thing to say with the NFL. It's not necessarily the game that busts up an NFL player. It's the practice. You know what I'm saying? It's that prolonged beating to your body. Except that in boxing, there's no helmet. And you're taking the beating to your head. You're taking the beating to your liver. I mean, this is life-altering shit, guys. Jack Alter says, I was worried about Figueroa's health in the Ugas fight, Mike. Yeah, well, if you're talking about uh, Omar Figueroa, that lifestyle outside the ring is not going to bode well for him, uh, including what the punishment he's taken in the ring. GPS, do you think out-of-camp weight limit before they cut weight? Yeah, you know, I've talked about this for a while, GP. I, I think one idea that I've had, that, again, has fallen on deaf ears. If you are, let's say, a 160-pound title holder, okay, you hold a title at middleweight, I think that there should be year-round monthly weigh-ins, whether you're in competition or out of competition, and you should not be allowed to weigh more than 10% of that weight class that you hold a title in. So... If you're a middleweight, you shouldn't be able to walk around for more than 176 pounds. You want to increase it to 15%, 20%, whatever. Pick a number. I'm just saying, whatever it is, you should have to weigh in once a month, whether you're fighting or not, and prove to the sanctioning organization, you know, with a photo or whatever it is, uh, digital scan or whatever, that, you know, I am within, let's say, 15% of the 160-pound limit, even though I don't have a fight scheduled. If you are holding a title for that division, you should pretty much be in the weight range of that division. It just makes sense. I think that is a rule every sanctioning organization could adopt that would keep fighters honest. And you'd stop seeing these dudes that blow up to 180, and you've all seen them, 180, and then melt down to junior welterweight or some shit and fight for a title. That is killing dudes, literally killing dudes. All right, guys, uh, let's get one more question in here, and then we're probably going to drop out. Falco Lombardi brings up Isaac Dogbay. Yeah, there's a guy who's taking a lot of punishment from bigger guys, and he's moving up in weight. I don't know if it's going to end well for him. Joshua Wilder says, Hurd looks like 180, 190, but fights at 154. Well, not anymore. He's fighting at 160, but yeah, there's a guy too. 
There's and look, I'm going to say this, you know, and this might be controversial, but a lot of Mexican fighters, a lot of Mexican fighters, uh, cut weight unnaturally. A lot of these young guys, and there are certain drugs down there that you can get at a drugstore, diuretics and such, that burn out of your system in 24 hours will not show up on a drug test. I've been told this by Mexican trainers, Mexican strength and conditioning coaches, and former Mexican fighters uh, that are now retired about this. There's a culture there of doing it. It's not only there. It's in other parts of the world, too. I'm just aware of it in Mexico because I've been told by multiple people close to that fight scene that it happens a lot there. And that's why you see certain certain guys can can hold on and they're okay. But certain guys start breaking down. And all I'm going to say is this. Jaime Munguia, you guys are starting to see the writing on the wall right there. I'm just going to leave that alone. <clears throat> all right. Let's see here. Stay Gifted says, Tank is fighting Gamboa. I saw that. And it's possibly coming to Georgia, Atlanta, which would be awesome. D.S. Kendall's asked, Mike, uh, talk about the new California State Athletic Commission's weight regulations. Is it only for MMA? Uh, you know, D.S. Kendall's, I haven't looked too much into that. So for those of you who don't know, uh, California made a rule that if you weigh in over 15% of the fight you're contracted to fight at, or the weight you're contracted to fight at, the fight's canceled. So um, I think that's for all fight sports. Don't quote me. I need to look more into it. I just haven't caught up. But I think that's for all fight sports. And I think that's an outstanding rule. And I think we could probably lower it to lower than 15%. But I like that rule a lot. Again, California is cutting edge. They are the ones who did the study and found out about the weight cut is the real issue. And there is a culture of that, especially in MMA, even more so than boxing. It comes from the wrestling background in MMA, where fighters go through hell to unnaturally cut weight. I've talked to high school wrestlers who cheat on weigh-ins. So uh, it's very prevalent in that world. And I think Andy Foster, being a former MMA fighter and heading up that California commission, he understands that background and has dug into it. And I think that's why California has taken on that rule before anybody else. I think it's a really, really smart thing. And Again, the weight cut is the big issue. And look, now we got all these junior weights and super weights and all this crap. And the weigh-in sometimes is 36 hours before the fight. So that has, you see the mismatches where you'll have one guy who's naturally much bigger, naturally stronger, fighting a smaller guy and putting an ass whooping on him. And that's where injuries occur. Salem Mooney says, same day weigh-in. I agree, but it won't happen. The weigh-ins have become big business. The weigh-ins are streamed now on all the networks and streaming platforms. And for some of the weigh-ins, they're charging people to get in the door. I mean, Canelo weigh-ins and stuff in Vegas, you got to pay, what is it, $5, $10 or whatever to attend a weigh-in. But they've become big business. And it's a way to hype the fight. It's part of the promotion. You're never going to have same-day weigh-ins again. Will not happen in boxing. So what else can we do? We can control fighters' weights before and after fights. And that's why that's where I think we need to head with the rules. Same-day weigh-ins ain't going to happen. Jack Alter asks, how would a prime Kovalev do in this division? I assume you're talking about the light heavyweight division. Uh, I, I think he'd be favored right now. I mean, look, have we seen the best from Vosdick, Baturbiev, Bevel? I don't know. Maybe we have, maybe we haven't. I, th- I think Bevel can improve. I, I think Vosdick and Baturbiev are who they are. But I think that uh, Kovalev would be favored over all these guys. You know, rightfully so. He's proven it. You know what I mean? Azier says, WBC weigh-in rules work. I think so. I think so. I think they do work. And we need more of those type of rules. Uh, SE2934 asks, Triple G versus Munguia in Mexico. I haven't heard anything about that. I don't think that'll happen. I think that um, Triple G is going to fight his mandatory next. The Polish fighter, I can't think of his name, Salida, something like that. He's going to fight him next, probably in February, maybe in Chicago. So Chicago fight fans, 
you might get another big fight. And I think that would be a huge one because Golovkin being uh, his, again, his father's from Russia fighting a Polish guy in Chicago. Yeah. Jermetta, Jermetta, uh, Camille Jermetta. A couple of you guys posted the name. That's who's going to fight next. Possibly New York, but probably Chicago. And I think that'll be a big deal. I think that's going to be a, a big event there uh, in Chicago in February. And I'm going to probably cover that one. I'll probably be there ringside for that one. So all my peeps that I met in Chicago last week, I'll see you guys again probably in February. Carlos Cabrera says, even the IBF fight limit at, at the day of the fight is good. I agree. I like their 10-pound rehydration rule. It's a smart thing. SC2934 as Triple G versus the winner of Saunders Smith for the WBC, WBA, Diamond, WBO. <laughs> uh, well, I guess, yeah, you have to move up to 168 for that. Sam asks, what is my pick for Pro Gray Taylor? Right now, dude, I am 50-50. 50-50. That is a tough one. I can't call it until the week of the fight. We'll talk about that one the week of the fight. Okay, guys? Um, but I, I keep going back and forth. I just keep going. My first instinct was Regis Progray, but then I think, ah, it's in England. You know, uh, Taylor's longer, more fundamentally sound as a boxer. I just can't pick a winner. I go back and forth, but I promise I will pick one the week of the fight, okay? But uh, that's it for this week, guys. Share this video, share this episode, get it out there. I appreciate all you guys for watching. Tune in next Monday. I'll see you at the fights.